podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick and joining me to discuss Liverpool's upcoming fixture with Crystal Palace is, of course, Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I am pretty good, thank you. Sitting here very, very smugly after yesterday's uh, clearly the best of the four teams in the draft pick. I think you must be high because my team would wipe the floor with your team. We shall see that exactly in, uh, I think, two weeks' time. Well, I've got... ahead. I've got by far the better defence. I've got more in my midfield. I've got Erling Haaland. So, you know, I've got Erling Haaland. I see your point, but, you know. Carl, I've got Erling Haaland. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. It's a team Um, game. And my team is better than yours as well. Yeah, to be fair. To be fair, it is. It is. Mine's a bit more niche. Um, Right. Before we face off in FPL, Liverpool face Crystal Palace in the Premier League. Now, neither side had the start to the season that they would have desired. Liverpool drew disappointingly with Fulham. Palace lost at home to Arsenal. First half, they were really poor. They looked completely disjointed and it was very, very obvious that this was a group of players that had not had pre-season together. Palace had a weird situation where half the squad went to Asia and the better half were left home for a variety of reasons. And you could tell in that first half, but I did think in the second half that they were the better team. I thought they created two really good chances, one for Eduard, one for Eze. And on another day, they potentially win that game because... You know, both goals are easily avoidable. The first Arsenal goal comes down to, as Alan Hansen would say, terrible defending from a set piece. And then the second one is an own goal that's a cross shot by Saka that if Gwehi doesn't touch, probably sails harmlessly across the face of goal and goes out of play. Um, on another day, Palace could have won the game, but there were some concerning parts about it for, for their uh, their fans and their manager, Carol. Yes, uh, I thought it was a, a fairly negative performance, which in part you can understand because it was obviously a bit more of a focus on the organisation and getting people up to speed with each other, as you mentioned. Uh, I didn't think that the shape of the midfield was particularly useful in the first half. It was Decore a bit deeper and Schlubbenese then slightly ahead of him. They did change that around and flipped it to a 2-1 and a one, and that was a bit better for them after the break. But... It, it did just look that they were a bit disjointed. They were a bit slow on the ball. There was not really too much in the way of an outlet down the channels for them. 
Uh, they invited a lot of pressure on from Arsenal and kind of caused their own problems a lot of the time, to be honest. It did look like they were still, you know, a week or two weeks away from being Premier League ready to be to be blunt about the situation. Um, there were a few good performers in that defensive spell, but the team showing wasn't obviously particularly good. I thought Decore had a good first half. Anderson played pretty well. Um, maybe a struggle, and after that 1v1s, they didn't do too well. Uh, and Edouard actually didn't, I didn't think, played that well either in terms of his hold-up play and trying to link it when they needed him to be you know, a forceful um, conduit and an outlet for them all at once, maybe. So definitely things to work on for them. Like you say, they could have they could have scored a goal. I, I think it's a stretch to say they could have won, to be honest, because Arsenal had a couple of other chances themselves. Uh, but definitely there is a chance, the one-on-one that he had, the way he opened his body, that has to go in, especially if you're not playing well in the team at that um, on that particular occasion. That's just the kind of massive open opportunity that you have to take. And I think he would have been pretty disappointed not to score uh, from a position like that, to be honest. But... Like you say, um, it was better after the break. It was a bit more fluid and a bit quicker down the channels, the way that we we were used to seeing them play towards the end of last season. I don't really think that there's anything to cause them any undue concern there, to be honest. Um, quite reasonable expectation of fixing the things that weren't very good, considering how they played last year and the fact that they've not lost any of those players. might take them a little bit of time to get back to there. And, of course, consistency is obviously the key for, for a team who's trying to break out of that mid-table gang of like eight clubs and try and push up towards the top of that. So maybe that comes for the for the younger players over the course of the next few months. Nothing, like I say, to, to worry about long-term. Although maybe like starting Guaita again at the start of the season, um, where he would have probably wanted him to come in and really hit the ground running, his partnership with Anderson, obviously, to, to continue being very good. I didn't think he had a great game. Um, so things for them to work on, but nothing massively concerning after one match. No, I think Guaita had to start in goal because you have an injury at the moment to Sam Johnston mm. and Jack Butlin is injured as well. So he is the only fit goalkeeper there. That's obviously Tantum a position... He was back that, on the bench, wasn't he? But was he not, not ready to start then? He just wasn't ready to start. Okay. Um, he, hadn't, he hadn't had any pre-season really. Um, so... That's a position they can internally upgrade just by putting Johnston into the team. Of more concern for me, Carl, was the fact that in the year of our Lord 2022, they started Nathaniel Klein at right back and Au as the right winger, and neither of them have been any good for four years. And that wasn't really because anyone was missing. I mean... Joel Ward, it's not like he's an upgrade on Nat Klein. They're about the same level of average. They haven't addressed that right-back position. And it's not like they've got loads left to do, but you'd like to see a right-back in the door. You've got a good centre-back pairing, and I like the signing of Richards from Bayern. I think one more centre-back in will give them a strong group. Um. I like Mitchell, the left-back. I think that's a that's a position of strength for them. You can't be starting Jeffrey Schlupp in the midfield three if Eberici Ezzi's one of the three. And definitely not in a two ever. No. So I think they need to find another central midfielder to partner Dukure. They could use Will Hughes. They could use... Um, what's the Scottish kid's name? No, he's not a kid. Scottish fellow's name. God. MacArthur. MacArthur. They could use him. But, I mean, neither of them are ideal. 
So they could do with getting a central midfielder in. Now, Michael Elise will come back. He's currently out injured. He will come back and he will be the the right winger. It'll be him, Eze and Zaha off the left. Or him on the right, Zaha left, whoever is the nine. And Eze in the midfield three with Dukure plus one. So they don't need a whole lot. But you'd probably still look at their starting eleven and say... You've got to upgrade it right back, and you definitely need to get one more in in midfield. Yeah, I wouldn't argue against the positions. That's definitely the the areas they need most. And I think they're also counting quite a lot on an improvement from Mateta up front as well, to be honest. Um, because Edouard's a good finisher, but he's, obviously it's a big step up to the Premier League and to try and be that kind of uh, clinical, regular goal scorer at this level. So... Maybe that comes for him this season or next season after that. I don't think they'll be too concerned about his performances given the work rate he has in the channels and the press and all the rest of it that he offers them. But he definitely didn't have his best game against Arsenal. Uh, But central midfield, I think, is the big one. I mean, even a Klein, you could probably carry him just being a a solid rotation with Ward and not really doing a whole lot other than filling that position if you've got somebody good and hard-working ahead of him. At the minute, they have just one half of that with AU. Um, but like you say, if Elise comes back comes back in, or even Edouard off to the side, or one of them drops a little bit deeper, Mateta as the the top player, they, they do have options there at the very least, which is not something that you could say before. No, it's not. Um, you, you do have to admire how well they've recruited in the last couple of years. I mean, I'm I know you're not either, but like Sam Johnston, I'm not a big fan, but it's a, it's a solid signing to get an England international in on a Bosman uh, when you're Crystal Palace. Um, we both love the Dukure signing. I think Chris Richards is a decent signing. I don't know about your thoughts on him. And the Abue kid they got from Derby, he looks like he might be the real deal. He looks very, very talented. Yeah, limited viewing of him, obviously. Um, coming on the other night, he looked pretty decent, looked very, very comfortable in possession. Um, and I think, is it, Plange as well, who they took from, from Derby as Luke well. Luke Plange, they brought yeah, him in. Really uh, did he come yeah. in in January and went back on loan, yeah. I think? Yeah, yeah. so he's basically here now for the first time with him sort of thing. So he's very, very highly rated. Again, not someone I've seen very much of at all. So we'll wait and see how much of an impact they have. And obviously someone's going to have to make way from the bench there, at least one or two once they get a couple of players back. Yeah, it's very difficult to you know have anything but admiration and, and quite a lot of like, I think, for the squad that they've started to put together. Uh, I think it was always going to be a two or even three summer turnover, considering the, the sheer volume of players that they had to get through after you know Hodgson left and the whole mess of players that they had out of contract and really aging squad. So I think they've made really good strides, um, considering this is only now, what, 14 months on from that point. And... Lots and lots of reasons still to be optimistic for the future, just not hopefully the immediate future. Yes, we could do with them having another little stumble on Monday night. This is a Monday game, an 8pm kickoff under the lights at Anfield. Well, it'll still be bright, but the lights will be on anyway. Um, we could do with them just having a little bit of a a tougher time. I, I think they missed Gallagher's... Um, industry and engine in midfield. And there have been rumours that they might get him back on loan because Tuchel can't find minutes for him and obviously he wants to go to the World Cup. So if they could get him back, he could make quite a big difference. At midfield three of Gallagher, Dukure and Ezzy could be quite fun. Um, and especially then if you're... Because you 
you know, you've got a defensive left back and defensive right back. So they could be in quite a good position uh, to play that more adventurous, attacking, aggressive midfield and just know that that back four will be solid. Um, so they got him and they, look, they've been linked with Juan Basaka as well on a loan. So if they got the two of them, that would improve them. Juan Basaka is obviously not fantastic, but he's more suited to Palace than he is to a top club. Um, neither of them obviously will be a factor for this weekend. Uh, Butland is still out. MacArthur is still out. Olise is still out. And James Tompkins is always out. That is where Palace stand for the weekend. Who out of this Palace team are you most looking forward to getting a closer look at? Uh, De again. I'm keen to see him, obviously, in as, as many games as possible in the Premier League and see what his consistency level can be like. A player I really, really liked last season. I think he was one of the better players around in terms of that role on the pitch uh, across the, the major European leagues. Um, I like Mark Gray. I think he's a really good signer for them, but I, I'm maybe not quite as high as quite a lot of people seem to have been on him in terms of his overall ceiling and how high he can actually go. So every time I see him against the better clubs, the better forwards, I am left wondering whether that is genuinely like the, the level he can actually reach or just because at 22 years of age, he's still like a relative novice at this kind of level. You know, he's not got huge volumes of Premier League level experience, great players playing against him, that kind of thing. So maybe it's still a learning curve for him. I think he's he's good, don't get me wrong. I just, I've seen quite a lot of people saying like, you know, another year or so at Palace and maybe he'd be ready for a Champions League club. I, just, I don't really see the positional work, the, you know, his body turn and that kind of thing when, when runners are going in behind him. I don't really see that being anywhere near as good as some of the defenders that like, we've had or City have had, that sort of thing, or, or European sides for that matter. Uh, Eze is always fun, so I do like watching him, but he's another one who probably you look for a bit more consistency from this season, because he can be a real game-changer for them, someone who can drag them uh, from games when they're struggling to keep hold of the ball or struggling to get out of their own half, that sort of thing. He should be the ball carrier for them. He should be the conduit who can help link the front three or get the ball to... um, Edwards down the channel so that he can lead the team out, that sort of thing. And also, of course, he's got the talent in in the final third to be a, a real goal threat himself. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I I really like Mark Wehi, but I do think there's uh, work to be done. But you have to remember as well, like that last season was his first year in the Premier League. He is still a very young central defender, only 22 years of age, turned 22 in July. So, he is going to make mistakes. He's going to have rough games because that's what happens with young defenders of that age. Uh, while we've been recording, actually, Palace have announced the signing of uh, Kofi Barmer or Balmer from Larne FC, a young Northern Irish central defender. Uh, don't know anything about him, but best of luck to him while he's there. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, is with Dukure and and Eze are the two I'm really looking forward to. I'm most curious as to who the third midfielder will be, because if it's Schlupp, I just think the balance is all off. If it's Will Hughes, then I think that could be a midfield that could cause us some problems, because you've got Dukure's dynamism and his ability to enforce his will on a game and you've got Eze's ability to run off the back of midfielders. And if Eze plays on the left of a three, and we're playing, let's say, Harvey Elliott on the right of our three, that's something that would concern me quite a lot. 
is who is going to track Eze when he moves forward. Um, if they play 4-2-3-1, then it works a little bit better for us in terms of the balance because Fab can pick up Eze. Dekure would probably be on Harvey, which is going to be problematic for us when we have the ball because Dekure will close him a lot. But Dekure is not going to add a huge amount going forward. And then Will Hughes against whoever the third midfielder is. If it's Henderson on the left for us, uh, that's going to be ugly. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, let's talk about us then. So going into this game, we have a number of players out. Uh, looking at premierinjuries.com, right now we're missing the most players of any club. We have eight players uh, unlikely to play this weekend. Actually, sorry, seven, because Naby Keita should be back. So Thiago is out. Curtis Jones is out. Diogo Jota is out. Quivin Kelleher is out. Costa Simicus is out. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is out. And Ibu Kanate is out. It's a little bit concerning to me, Carl, that so many players are out this early in the season. Now, I know Jota and Ox, those are injuries sustained in pre-season. Kelleher, it was on um, international duty. But, like, Thiago injured in the first game, not an ideal start. Curtis Jones injured in a runaround in the Community Shield. Klopp's words on his injury are a little bit worrying for me. We hope with Curtis we caught it in the right moment. That's just how it is with young players. They have some kind of stress reaction sometimes. And then if they go over it, it's not massive pain. It could lead to something serious. Now, he was seen walking into Anfield on the Sunday when Liverpool played Strasbourg, but leaving on crutches with a protective boot on. And when Klopp says stress reactions, my mind thinks stress fracture. As usual, it's pretty hard to get the exact diagnosis details. They they never really say exactly what it is or what the problem is. And you really can't believe um, anything that we, uh, we put out officially in terms of a timescale to come back. So... It's it's a bit of a shame again. You know, last season at the start of the campaign, he was missing with that stupid eye injury that he had. He was missing with COVID. He was missing with, uh, I think I can't remember if it was a knee or an ankle, something like that. He was really unfortunate with things that you can't do much about. You know, someone scratching you in the eyeball in training. I mean, how, how do you prevent that? And it kind of feels like it's the same again for Jones this year. It's like something which has happened, which he's not really because of the way he plays or because of the way he trains or anything like that. And yet it could keep him sidelined for quite a while, um, depending on obviously what it is. And again, it's a, a little bit pointless to speculate too much because I agree when he says stress reaction, it's a stress fracture, it's a stress impact. Um, the, the the load has to be reduced, basically, is the is the upshot mm. of that. So Curtis Jones missed 62 days with the eye injury. That's Mochacha there in the... Uh, in the chat group for us, just counting up the minutes and minutes. That was meant to be two weeks. Yeah, that was meant to be two weeks. Then it was the international break, and then he came back, and it was it was still not ready to be back in full training, and then it was still not ready for matches. And by that point, obviously, we're on a good win and run, and it's very difficult for him to get back in the team again. So, at the moment, we could really do with him um, as, a, as an extra body there in midfield because he has played that left-sided role more often than anybody else when Thiago's not playing, maybe other than Cater, but I'd say their numbers on that left side are quite split because Cater played a lot on the right, obviously, as well. So 
it would be useful to have him right at the moment. But if it is any kind of, you know, one of those injuries that you just literally have to leave it, you can't put it in a cast. You can't, um, you know, do too much work on repairing All he can do is keep his weight off. Yeah, it's just waiting. That's all you can do is just wait for it to be back to where it needs to be before you can start training again. And it's a very, very frustrating position to be in. It is, it is. And it's just, you know, Thiago, they said six weeks. Would anybody really bet their life that he's back in six weeks? Uh, Curtis, there's no timeline, so God knows when that will be. Jota Klopp has been fairly vague. Now, somebody did speak to somebody at Liverpool, somebody from AI spoke to somebody at Liverpool, and they were told he will be back in training by the end of this month. So, you know, that could be that could be a boost getting Diogo back. Kelleher, they're hopeful that he'll be back before the end of this month, and Klopp has been fairly open about the Kelleher thing, largely because he could hurt an international duty. Yeah. Uh, we don't really know what's wrong with Costas. Klopp just said he was unlucky in a training situation. So we'll wait and we'll see. Uh, Nabi is ill. It's not COVID, apparently, but he's ill. So, you know, he was meant to be back for Fulham. I think he trained on the Friday, so he just obviously didn't feel uh, feel up to it. Ox, I'd be surprised if we see him before the World Cup, to be totally honest, based on the fact that Klopp immediately said it's a serious hamstring injury. That sounds to me like it's a bad tear. And then the Ibu one where Klopp said immediately after the game, oh, no, he's fine. We took him off as a precaution. And then all of a sudden, we're not going to let Nat Phillips leave because of Ibu's injury. That doesn't read well either. No, I think the Kanate one's pretty clearly going to be a bit of a while. Uh, whether or not that does, in the end, stop Phillips leaving, I'm not honestly sure. I don't think it should, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think that the sake of maybe a couple of games where you might have to call upon him, I'd probably say that it is better for Liverpool's future to use somebody else and better for his future, for sure, to go now rather than another six months down the line. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see when, when that happens. Um, the rest of them, like you say, I don't even know what cost us him because his injury is. Uh, unlucky in training just sounds like he got nutmegged and has a bruised ego to me. But um, obviously it's, it's something which is keeping him from even being in training up until the middle of this week at least. I don't know if he's back in now. So not a lot that we can do about most of the injuries. The Thiago one is obviously the biggest concern, I think, because it was mm. um, not just the start of the season, but just after the restart of the match as well. I think that's the, the probably the, the bigger concern, whether that is because it was after a cool down or whether it was something that was felt in the first half and then when again after the restart or what you know whatever the situation for that turns out to be I think that that's probably the only one I would have any actual concern over um, because he's obviously one of the ones that they put so much effort into keeping fit and available last week uh, last season and it worked well we have to say uh, in the in the second half of the season obviously so very disappointing to start the season that way and we we'll just wait and see how long it takes him to get back if there was the same calendar as usual you'd probably be saying October international break something like that and not rushing back but it's a really different calendar and it's a like if we've already gone over now it's a bit of a different situation for the midfield group right now as well exactly and you know our midfield roles are all 
quite specific. They all do very different things in the team. And that left-sided role, there are three players in the squad that play that left-sided role to varying degrees. Thiago is the best at it. Naby's very good at it. And Curtis is, is okay at it. Now, he's not nearly as good as the other two, but he does a decent job there. But he's out and Thiago's out. That means Naby is the only player left in the squad that can play that role at an acceptable standard in the Premier League (laughs) for a team that wants to win the league. Nice qualifier there. Well, yeah, I mean, I know know someone will say, well, James Milner can play there. No, he can't. No, he can't. Just no. James Milner having a 20-minute cameo or however long it was, 30 minutes against Fulham, it doesn't change the fact that when James Milner starts, he struggles. And if James Milner is going to have to chase Eberichi Eze all over the pitch, he is going to be in big trouble. So with Curtis out and Thiago out, that means we need Naby to stay fit now and play every important game, which is all the league games and the two Champions League games, between now and whenever it is one of them reappears. And it just doesn't seem likely to me that he is going to be able to do that because he hasn't been able to do that at any point in his Liverpool career to date. I think the most frustrating thing about that is that there's just never any ability to, um, not not plan for when he's going to get injured, obviously, but any way of knowing that you're in danger now. You know, this is the point where things start to go wrong for Keita because he can be fit and fine for six, seven games in a row and be involved for like over a period of 10 matches where he comes in and out and be injured, or he can play once and be injured. And there is, there seems to be much, much less of a pattern to his unavailability than most of the other players we've had for a long period of time. Like with Henderson, you know, if he starts playing two games a week, for example, not too far into that spell, you're going to be running the risk that he starts you know, getting either some sort of muscle strain or overextending himself or something like that, and he will start to look very, very tired. But Keita sometimes can come in and be perfectly fresh and has started the last game and maybe played 60 minutes and has been built up from sub two games and then played half a game and then 60 minutes and then you know built up really, really well and then it's gone. Or he can come yeah. in and play 90 minutes and he's gone. It, there's, there's just very, very difficult to predict what on earth is going to happen with him. He could well go on and play all those games that you just mentioned and nothing happens to him. Like last season, the second half of the season, obviously, again with him, was much, much better from that regard. But then you start the season without him because he's ill. Is that going to set back on the the preventative work that he's done? Is it setting back at all on the I don't know the the preseason work that he had to do, obviously, to get himself in the same sort of uh, physical state or anything? Is it is it a mental thing with him as well that if he misses games for any reason, he, he's a little bit more hesitant? We don't really know any of this stuff. It's very difficult to gauge. So, I mean, and especially with Oxley Chamberlain as well. You just mentioned all the games that players can or can't or have to play Oxley chamberlain between now and the World Cup, I think we've got the League Cup, 7th of November week. That's it. Yeah. Third round League Cup, that's about it. Fourth round, I think, is in December as well, but you know, it depends if we get there, depends if he's back for that point. So it's, it's unlikely we're going to see too much of him before the new year. That's the thing. And then we go into January, he's got six months left in his contract. And you just don't know like how he, he he doesn't tend to be part of the the group late in seasons. I mean, remember when was it it was Forrest away in the cup 
he started, he played fairly poorly, and Klopp took him off. And he was seen to say, I haven't played in weeks. And he was really annoyed about being taken off. And I don't know that we saw him a whole bunch after that. Like, that was the fourth round of the FA Cup, maybe? Which is early enough in the second half of the season. And we just didn't see him. Like, and that's a concern. Is that, does he, does Klopp even trust him to play when he comes back? Like, people keep bleating on about numbers in midfield. But the facts are that when push comes to shove, he doesn't play Ox, he doesn't play Curtis, he doesn't play Harvey. He had Curtis and Harvey rotating seats in the stand last season, and Ox just disappeared after his little, I don't know, complaint against Forrest. How many games did Ox play after Forrest? Uh, any. He any. played against Norwich in the league. He played 62 minutes. Mm. Uh, that was yeah. That was before Forest. Yeah, so right. he I played. He played again after that. No, it was after, It was the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. So it was later than I thought. It was the 20th of March. But he didn't play again after that. He didn't even make the squad for a lot of games. Um, which, you know, just goes to goes to show he didn't play a single minute in any of the knockout stage of the Champions League, uh, didn't play a league game after the 19th of February, didn't play the semi-final, wasn't in the semi, it wasn't in the squad for the semi-final or final of the FA Cup, wasn't in the squad for the second leg of the League Cup semi-final and didn't make the, make it onto the pitch in the final. So, I mean, Klopp just doesn't trust him for whatever reason. So he's not a real option for us. He's just not a real option for us. He's out injured. Curtis is out injured. Naby is sick. Thiago's injured. Like, people can try and do all the mental gymnastics they want, but it's very clear that there's an issue here. And of those I haven't mentioned as being out, there are four fit midfielders, Carl. Four fit midfielders at the club right now. Now, Naby would make five if he's, if he's fully ready to go. But at the moment, there are four that we know are fit. James Milner, who's 36 and not good enough. Harvey Elliott, who's 19 and has less than 10 Premier League starts under his belt. Jordan Henderson, who is playing awful football at the minute. And Fabinho, who doesn't exactly look in the best of form either. Like, this midfield is a concern. It, or at least it should be a concern. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean. I mean, Fabinho, look, he, when he's bad, he's horrible. Like, it's almost like displacing him and putting me in his shirt. That's the kind of level that he plays at when he's having an off day, isn't it? Um, the good thing about that is that he seems to be one of those players who doesn't need to play his way back into form. He's just horrible form one game and then superb the next, and then that's back to normal. That's the kind of thing that Fabinho seems to be capable of doing. So, fingers crossed, that starts now. Because, like you say, he was he was well off the pace in a couple of the games, actually, in pre-season, obviously. And then uh, for the opening weekend as well. I think the midfield as a whole was terrible in the first half. It was so, so one-paced, very, very unadventurous, not aggressive in the slightest. It was, other than Thiago with a few challenges and passes forward, there was very, very little to like in the midfield in that first game. So I'm expecting whoever started, even if it was the same three, massive improvements in this one because that's where everything comes from in this team as for who starts 
it kind of has to be Fabinho anyway. And then I do, I think Javi is going to come into this one. I, I think that he had a bit of an impact off the bench. I think he played really well in pre-season. I think that there is no specific reason why he shouldn't start. You know, like you've said, we've not got the, the players at the moment. There are not numbers of people there who can claim to be in better form or looking better at him that at the moment, unless they've been unbelievable in training that we've not seen this week. So yeah. I, I, I don't see any reason to not, you know, he was in the team towards the beginning of last season and Everything that you've said there is true, that he didn't really get the, the trust towards the end of last season. He didn't have the involvement last season. He hasn't had, I think he's still on four Premier League starts at the moment for Liverpool. So that's all true, but we also know that that is as a direct consequence of his injury last year. And he didn't get back to good form. He didn't get back, you know, that ability, the rhythm to be in the team for that key part of the season. We'll Was it see. just me or did he seem to come back too quick? I don't know if he came back too quick because, I mean, the first well, game... Remember- he was really good. Remember the game back. against... Remember his first start when he came back? <laughs> yes. Was into Milan away. Yeah. And he, he was... And he was, he was really poor. Yeah. But, and, so and, he comes back in the league, right? In the league, he comes back against Leicester on the 10th of February, plays half an hour, does not kick a ball in the league for three months. Between the 10th of February and the end of the season... He, he appeared once, played 65 minutes against Southampton. That's it. Wasn't in the squad for the FA Cup semi-final or final. Obviously, did make an appearance in the League Cup final. But he just seemed to be out of sight, out of mind or something. Like Again, played against Inter in the same week he played against Leicester and wasn't seen again in the Champions League. So after that that week where he comes back, plays Leicester, plays Inter, he plays 65 minutes against Southampton, 45 minutes against Norwich, and 64 minutes against Forest. And that's it. So like he yeah. comes back in February and plays... I don't know, 200 minutes between then and the end of the season? It just doesn't seem Well, no, I think that that's... Ideal. It's definitely not ideal, but I think it, it was largely expected, to be honest, at least for, for myself. Like We got to, what, March or so, and I started saying, like, now we're reaching the point where you are going to have a core group of maybe 14, 15 players. And Elliot wasn't in that because he hadn't been able to be in that. He wasn't playing. So there was no way he was going to be in the go-to group you know if he'd have been on the bench but, for a but this is my point about why when people say well he's the starting right-sided midfielder there's just no basis for it no no there's not there's no there's no basis to say that he is but there is reason to to say that he could be at least he's going to get the opportunity that he could be and i think this is probably a, as good a game as any to say is why you know we haven't got the options. It's a team who we should go out and, and play off the park. It's a team who we should expect to have a lot of the ball, and it's a team who are very aggressive in midfield when they're at their best. And you need people like Elliot to be able to play the little combination passes and remember how good he was at getting round the outside on the overlap. Now, if we combine Elliot doing that last season in the early parts of the campaign when he was wide overlapping on the right hand side and getting himself into the box, that left Salah a little bit more free and a little bit less doubled up on by the defenders to go infield. And we saw 
against Fulham in the second half, what happened with Salah not being immediately marked by three people because Darwin Nunez came on and had himself a bit more of a presence, they had to focus on him, and it all has a lovely little knock-on effect, uh, the end result of which, in both of those, Darwin at the weekend, Javi Elliott last season, was Salah getting a little bit more freedom, a little bit more space to operate in, and a lot more goals for himself. So I would like to see that re-established. I'd like to see if we can... Um, find that link-up play that we saw in the early part of last season as well, because Trent, uh, Elliot and Salah were really, really good for a tiny little spell. You know, Not much of a sample size, but it was really good while it lasted. So it's something that I think is a, a reasonable time to do. The fixture, the fact that it's at home, um, the fact that we obviously need to win and therefore you would generally put out a bit more of an attack-minded midfield. I think it's uh, probably the one that he comes in for. Right. I, I have no problem with him playing on the right side of midfield. And in fact, I think of of what's at the club right now, he's probably the best option, which is not good when he, he's a 19-year-old with four Premier League starts or five Premier League starts, whatever number it is. Um, if he's your best option, something's gone wrong somewhere. So if he's the right-sided midfielder, Who's the left-sided midfielder this weekend? No, do you is it upset you or let you? Is it the, the guy who can actually play the role at a very high level? Is it the guy who can do the job to some degree in short spells, or is it the fella who's played the left side of the midfield role twice ever? Once was a catastrophic performance last season at home to Chelsea. And once was an embarrassing 10 or 15 minutes against Fulham where all he did was get in everybody else's way and give the ball away endlessly. Which of those three do you want? I'm taking James Milner. Over Naby Keita? Well, I'm assuming that Naby Keita is not 100% fully fit and firing. If he is, then fine, Keita starts. But I'm not expecting, again, due to the build-up that we've given him previously and the gradual increase in loads and all the rest of it, that he misses the end of pre-season, misses the start of the season, and then comes straight in to start the match. Right, so you're going Harvey uh, and Milner as the eights. So is Fabinho your six, or is the captain sliding into the one position he can actually play at this point in his career? I think it's going to be Fabinho, with the exception of if he's been still completely under par during training then it would be Henderson and I don't really have an issue with that either well if if, if you have no issue if, if you have if. no if you have no issue <laughs> if you have no issue with in the second game of the season a starting midfield of Harvey Elliott Jordan Henderson and James Milner that's absolutely fine Carl Listen. That's absolutely fine. That if that is your preferred choice of midfield, <laughs> that's fine. Listen, last would you like to bring back midfield. Adam Lalana, perhaps? I'll start and you can have <laughs> was, you can have Lalana, Tenderson, and Milner. You tell me, last season, open day of the season, our midfield for that. Uh, Milner, Milner played the six, didn't he? You tell First me. of all, we. First of all, we played Norwich. We did. So, you know. Uh, was it Harvey? No, it wasn't Harvey. Was it Harvey didn't play that game? Was it Curtis? Was it Curtis, Milner and Naby? Not far off. 
Nabi was definitely the left-sided one. Yeah, and Milner played the six. Milner played the six. It was Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right. Ugh! Milner, Keita. Ugh! That is rancid. As an interesting rancid. to open the campaign with. So I would suggest that this one... Be a it's not better! <laughs> it's not better! It's not better! It's better than Oxlade. James Milner's a better footballer than Jordan Henderson. Naby Keita is miles better than anybody in your suggested midfield for, for Monday. Yes. And Ox... Well, I mean... Look, Ox in the right side of the role should have been really good. It's just he got injured and never really got another proper run of the team. But we needed a midfielder last season as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm with you and, that, and, I'm and... Crystal Palace are a significantly better team than Norwich. The Norwich midfield that Crystal Palace put out... Like, Lees Malou is okay, Lucas Rupp is not okay, and Billy Gilmore is not a Premier League caliber player at this point in his career. They're going to put a much better midfield out than that. Yeah, like, Ducouré and Eze alone is better than that. Yes, and besides the, the actual central players, the, the people around them are, are a bit better structured mm. in Crystal Palace than were at Norwich last season. But either way, look, I'm only saying that Henderson should be starting as the six if... Fabinho has had a terrible, terrible week. But as I've already said, he just plays badly in a game or two games and then he's just perfectly fine. He's just back up to how good he is. He's not a player who needs like a month gradual build-up like someone like Harry Kane, let's say. You know, he comes back from injury and he stinks the place out for two games and then you can see that he's vaguely getting back involved in this build-up play and then he'll score a goal off his you know, left bum cheek or something from a yard out and then suddenly after that he is getting back to how good he is. Fabinho just plays badly and then plays really, really well for ages. So I don't expect there to be any dramatic change there. I expect that he'll start. I would play Milner over Henderson for the left-hand side. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I- I'd play you over Henderson for the left-hand side. He just can't play week, there. Every week. But he just can't play there. Like, he's far too right-side dominant he has no awareness of position wherever he is. And when he plays on the left-hand side, Sam Maguire has a piece up on his Patreon, if people can go and have a look at that. And my good God, he picks the ball up in the the left-sided role, wanders his way into central midfield, plays the pass, and then just stands there. Doesn't get back into position and just gets in everybody's way. And then there was a second thing that Sam was too nice to put in, where he received the ball, had a simple ball on to Robbo, who was about to run into a big gap of space, and he just couldn't work his feet out to get it onto his right foot because he won't play it with his left foot. He can't He can't play there. He can't play there. Just go and watch the Chelsea game from last season. Like, Jesus Christ. It was absolutely horrific. And Fab and Curtis had to carry him all game long. It was appalling to watch. So, no, he can't play there. If he's going to play, he has to be the six. He can't play as an eight anymore. He can't play as the right-sided eight because he's just not good enough. He doesn't have the technical ability. He doesn't have the intelligence to play the role. He's not calm enough on the ball to play the role. He's fine as the six because he gets loads of time on the ball. Defensively, he's an issue anywhere. But as a six, he is fine on the ball. He can pick his passes. He can slow the game down to suit himself. He can speed it up when it's working for him. But as an eight, he just has such a negative impact. So if he's going to play, it has to be the six. 
And if Naby's not ready to go, then it is Harvey Elliott and Milner starting either side, which, I mean, there's just no argument made that we don't need another midfielder. Let's look at the rest of the team. Um, would you be keeping the centre-back partnership from last weekend, given they had a little bit of a questionable day, or would you give Joe Gomez uh, an outing? Um, I would probably keep them, to be honest, because actually the team had a, a bit of a questionable day if it comes to that, including Allison for the first goal especially. Um, mm. But if we're making changes in midfield, if there's nowhere near the, the strongest midfield we can put out, then yeah, keep keep the two of them as they are. Now, you're sure you wouldn't like to double down on the gammon midfield that you've said you want and, and you wouldn't want Nat Phillips in there? I mean, I'm all up for bringing back the Reesnap partnership because it guarantees us top four. So you, so you, what you're telling me now is that your ideal Liverpool team is John Flanagan at right back, Nat Klein at left back, Reese and Nat, uh, Peggy Arfixed in goal, uh, Lalana, Milner and Henderson in the midfield three, Henderson on the left of that midfield three, obviously, just to spice it up. And then up front... You're going for the silky skills of Andy Carroll with Christian Benteke running off him and then Charlie Adam on the right side cutting in on that dangerous left foot to unleash all hell. That is your ideal Liverpool team. Charlie no Adam. love for Stuart Downing? Or Charlie we can go Stuart Downing with left back. We'll go Stuart Downing at left back. Charlie Adam and John Flanagan as a right-sided combo. There's, there's not going to be too much overlapping there, is there? Overtaking, maybe, but not overlapping. Like, Flanagan's that slow, he, he couldn't even overlap poor old Charlie. El Chatham. Yeah, so we're going, yeah, Downing on the left. Downing is your outlet. Downing is the left-sided Trent in your balls. team. Crossfield balls to Jurgen Klopp, stood in the touchline, wondering what the fuck is going on with this team. Um, no, so you're going Matip and Virgil, uh, Robbo and Trent, obviously, Ali and Goal. What about up front then, Carl? Because obviously the other big question mark last weekend was who would start as the number nine. And I think it's fair to say Jürgen got that one quite wrong because once Darwin came on, we looked a completely different team. And he really was the one who inspired the comeback, if you want to call it that. Yes, he did, no question. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that I call it wrong, because I think that Firmino's going to be important for that sometimes, hackering people out and doing all the things that he does, and then people come on like Jota and that, and he is able to exploit that space, but Darwin didn't really do the making the use of them being tired, because we hadn't made Fulham's defenders do anything at all last week. Uh, it was It was that bad. But what he does is he has such a presence and he's just a pain in the ass and a non-stop runner. And he's so big that he naturally looks like he needs more attention than Firmino did. Even Firmino on his best day, apart from the fact that defenders couldn't really get close to him because of his movement and everything, he would never have been the type of player where they say, double up on him. Never. Because he's not that big, he's not that quick, he's not that known as being a predatory goal scorer. You know, you'd, you'd mark against his movement and his... Uh, through balls and that kind of thing, but you would never try and double up on him. And that always, always meant that Salah was. He was always doubled up on, and there was always somebody else just inside if he was cutting in. And the same for, for Mane to a slightly lesser extent. 
And what we're going to see when Darwin starts is that, that he does draw the attention of an extra man. He does draw the attention of somebody who just has half an eye on him and steps maybe one pace closer in case the ball comes his way and he tries to chest it down so that he can be in place to clear. And what that does is that leaves that extra half space open for Salah or Harvey Elliott or whoever else is running through. And we will see that have a big, big impact. It's not just going to be about the fact that we've paid loads of money for this guy up front who can score goals himself. It is going to be the big, big knock-on effect that he has, just like it was when Jota arrived. It was the knock-on effect that he had for other people because he suddenly was this very, very different type of forward in the box for us. It was the same thing with Firmino when he was playing. He didn't so much have impact himself as let other people have impact. And I think it's it's more of the same for Liverpool, but in a very, very different way. And I think Darwin's a lot more obvious, isn't he? Um, and I've got to say, I like it. I, I really, really do like it. And I can certainly envisage plenty of games this season, maybe plenty of situations in games where we'll probably need all four of them on as well. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair point. Like, it's possible that Klopp might consider a four-two-three-one even to start this game just to throw something out there that's a little bit different and maybe not Palace off their stride and maybe start Bobby as the 10 behind Darwin. We don't really have, if Naby's not 100% ready, we don't really have good options for a two-man midfield because Henderson's always struggled in a two. Milner's never really played in a two. Harvey can't play in a two. Naby and Fab will be the only two that are fit that can, and the only other one at the club that really could do it is Thiago, obviously. So he might not have the option of going to two-man midfield. I know James Pierce uh, wrote a piece yesterday, the day before, uh, about how it could be an option to play Henderson and Fabinho as a double pivot. It's just not something that works. And it would be a bit of a bizarre decision if he played those two. But you never know. Maybe he does. Maybe he decides to just throw out a curveball. Do you foresee a curveball? They're going to start in midfield with Harvey Elliott. Pretty curvy. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Right. I don't, I don't, um, think, we'll, I don't think we'll have a 10 for this game anyway, not to start with. No, I, do, I don't either, to be fair. I don't either. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go with a strong team, bar that midfield. We're going to have a really good defence. We're going to have a really good attack. We should have enough to beat Crystal Palace at home. Like there's, there's no real excuse for us not beating Crystal Palace at home. But then, you know, the Premier League can be a little bit funky. What is your prediction for this game? Um, largely based on whether or not we play better, to be perfectly honest. I think Palace will really frustrate us. I think that they showed against Arsenal what their approach is going to be at the start of the season for them. Um, you know, they're, they're not... They've not got an easy start, have they, let's be fair, playing against um, Arsenal and then Liverpool. And even though it's Aston Villa then, after that it's Man City. So it's not the kindest fixture list that they've been handed at the start of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they still see this first, most of August, let's say, as not pre-season exactly, but certainly uh, a period of games. Trying to find the rhythm. Yeah, find the rhythm, be really, really organised, just work on off-the-ball stuff and you know, we'll see if the forwards creative individuals that they have, Zaha with his ball carry and that kind of thing, can really create goal, uh, you know, create a few chances out of nothing or be a bit better on set pieces or whatever. So if they do that and we play similarly to how we did against Fulham, 
I can see another draw, no problem. You know, we might score a goal, we might score a couple, but we were so open and they'll be a little bit better, presumably, on the counter than they were in the first game just by way yeah. of, um, you know, rhythm and fitness and a, a bit more pace to their game. But there's no reason why we should play the way that we did against Fulham. We should be much, much better. We were in the previous game. We have been at different times in pre-season and previously we've started seasons really well as well. So there's no reason to suspect we'll be as bad as we were there. You know, that that should be the only wake-up call this team needs. You know, we've had plenty of times in the past, like, let's say, three seasons, four seasons, something like that, a, a bad game, a bad performance. You don't win, you should do, fair enough. But they react really well. That's been like a big theme of this team. So we can expect that it would be the case again. Um, first game at Anfield, obviously, should hopefully be decent atmosphere and all the things that come with that. So I am going to go with a win and a much-improved performance. And I'll say 3-1, let's say, because we've got to be better than Arsenal, obviously. Um, but I just expect that that's going to happen. If we if we do start slowly, mm. the energy, if we don't really be as aggressive as we should have been, this will be a grind. Yeah, it will. And Palace will take a lot from what they saw of Liverpool against Fulham. And they will see that the aggression that Fulham showed in midfield really threw us off. They will see that quick transitions and long direct balls to a big, powerful, decently quick front man can have a bit of an effect on us if things are off. So I, I expect them to start Mateta and I expect them to try and hit him and get runners moving off him in a similar way to what Fulham did. I think Dukure, and it wouldn't surprise me if Will Hughes does start this one, that those two might start flying into a few tackles early on and trying to just knock us out of rhythm, trying to filter the ball to the players in the Liverpool team they believe can't hurt them, and just get as close to Salah as possible. Because, in fairness to Anthony Robinson, he kept Mo quiet for, what, about 65 minutes? And he did it largely by becoming like a snazzy sports coat for Mo and wrapping himself around him. So it wouldn't surprise me if Tariq Mitchell tried something similar, got up really close to Mo, and just commit niggly little fouls if you're worried he's going to spin you, boot him when you can, try and force him back, especially if that midfield is questionable. And it's it, it's going to be questionable one way or another, because if even if it's the three best players available, Harvey, Fab, Naby, it's not really a midfield that has played together. I think they played together once, and it was a, a year ago. Um, so, you know, the, there's question marks over any midfield we put out there. And I think they're going to look to take advantage of that. You know, I, I, th- I think Vieira's shown since he got there that he can plan well for games. They're a difficult team to beat. And I would expect them to be a lot better. But I also expect us to be better. And I don't think it'll be comfortable. I don't think it'll be pretty. I'm not even sure we'll be a whole lot better. But I think this team will find a way to win. I'm going to go 2-1. We take it. I think just get the points on the board and get the season started is probably important at this stage. We don't have to go too far overboard in terms of, you know, the season's over and all the rest of it. But let's be honest, you have to get started. There's no... There's no time for pissing about or just keep stuttering or whatever. All the other words that people have used in the headlines for us so far, you just got to get the job done to start with and then we can get ourselves the rhythm and the confidence and the 
familiarity of the play and style and all the rest of it and a few people to come back and then suddenly things look rosier again but if you go two games and you don't pick up the points it becomes a problem quite quickly so just get it done yeah yeah i agree all that matters is, is the result the performance does not matter at all in this one just get the result get the three points on the board and get the season moving uh, as we have been doing this podcast, I have been constructing what I'm calling the Carl match at all time Liverpool eleven. Oh, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's. I'm not sure on the goalkeeper because he's not quite enough. But this is inspired by your obviously preferred midfield choice. Hmm. Uh, so we've got Adam Bogdan in goal. Sensational stuff uh, on this day. <laughs> We're going we're going Flanagan, Reese, Nat and Stuart Downing as the back for uh shout out Glenn Johnson. You were just a little bit too attack minded for this back four. I'm just glad that there's no Jose Enrique to be honest. I'll take Downing. Yeah, you you couldn't have you couldn't have someone you couldn't rely on. Uh in midfield, we've gone full Brexit. It's Lalana back on loan from Brighton. Milner as the six. And Henderson on the left of the midfield. It's just the Premier League title uh, celebrations all over again, mate. I don't know what your problem is. Well, you're going to love this front three. You're going to love this front three. What would you say, other than scoring loads of goals, what would you say was the defining factor of the Liverpool front three of Salah, Firmino and Mane? What was it that they did better than anybody else outside of scoring goals? I go with the pressing work rate. And was that something that you enjoyed, Carl? I'd say it's an attractive quality. Okay, well, what I about this for I attractive trio? I have a feeling I'm not going to see too much of that particular characteristic here. <laughs> Charlie Adam off the right, Andy Carroll as your nine, and hands on his knees after 20 minutes in his oh. debut, Joe Cole in on the left. On his day, on his day. Um, the magic was still there the magic was before he signed there's certain things he can do that are better than what Messi can do Steven Gerrard said that and as manager there can be only one down from the nest the owl faced man himself Uncle Roy back in the building yes by experience that team will struggle in the championship Jesus Christ! Well, I saw. I have to that team now. very nearly did struggle in the championship. Yes, yes, they did. Radio, we will leave it there. Do you have anything coming out this week that you want people to know about? I do, but it is mostly Chelsea and Tottenham based. So, if you want to see read about the rest of the Premier League before our game on Monday night, then come and find me. Find Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett and read his work in the Independent. Follow Guy at Guy Drinkle. And uh, I'm at APL Index, but don't follow me because, you know, just it's too much hassle. Uh, we'll leave you there, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to the live audience. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now.
at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.